Welcome to Mammoth Community Christian Church. It's wonderful to join with you today and worship the Lord together as a community of his people. Well, my sermons, as you know, we've been tracing the logic of authenticity that Paul sets out for us in Romans chapter 8, which leads us more and more deeply every, every time, more and more deeply every step into the very heart of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And we're currently in the middle of, of chapter 8 where Paul unexpectedly expands this discussion. He's been focusing on this very human-centered view of God's work and this, this very human-centered view of God's kingdom. And suddenly he steps back and he gives us this cosmic view of salvation that encompasses the entire created order. And he begins this section by first encouraging us to weigh all the difficulties, all the hardships, all the sufferings of our lives on one side of the ancient scale, to, to put it all on, and then on the other side, weigh the glory that will be revealed in us. And when we make this comparison, all of our suffering, all of our hardship on one side, and then the weight of the glory, the goodness of his kingdom that he's bringing about, it doesn't even compare. It's not even close. What he has for, for us as those who place our faith in him is so much better. It, it, it's super abundantly greater than the hardships, the sufferings of our present life then we've been learning that creation was designed for purposes and a destiny that human sin has ruined. Something, we look around, something seems to be wrong with the critted world. Something seems to be off balance with the environment and the biblical answer is clear. The problem is us. We're the problem. Humans, through selfishness and sin, have deeply damaged the environment, the created order around us. And the created world, Paul is saying, can sense this. It's like it can feel it. It can feel the pain of, of the harm we have caused. The created order can, can sense that it is not, not now what it was meant to be. And so Paul says creation groans because of the effects of human sin. And not only this, but creation also longs with eager anticipation. And we saw in the Greek that this is a very strong word. It's like a child on a long car trip to Disneyland for the first time. And the child can barely contain their excitement. They're going to Disneyland. For the first time, this eager anticipation that can hardly contain itself, that's how creation longs for, for, for Jesus to come back, for this healing and rescue and deliverance from the current situation that Jesus will bring about, not only for God's people, but also for all of creation. Paul tells us that creation groans, that it longs deeply for liberation from its bondage to decay and for the moment when it will be brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. And so today, after Paul has expanded his discussion from his focus on humans to then the entire created order, he shifts again and it's like he locates us back in the middle of creation. 
It's as though Paul is reminding us that we're not separate from creation, that the human story is not bracketed off. The human story is not separate from creation, but that we're located in it and God's work of of rescuing us from our sin and suffering and death is also occurring for all of creation and that God will bring all of creation and us together into the freedom and glory of the children of God. And then Paul says that the specific way that we share solidarity with nature is that we too share in the groaning that nature is experiencing. And we are longing, along with creation, for the redemption of our bodies. He says the redemption of our bodies. Paul's saying we're not separate from creation. We too are creatures that God has placed in the environment, in this, this physical universe. That we have physical bodies that are dependent on the, the resources of the natural world around us. We suffer because of the human sin that damages not only the created order, but also damages our physical bodies. And whether we realize it or not, Paul is saying, we long for something better. We long for the destiny that God originally planned for us and all of creation to experience together. So let's read our passage for today from Romans chapter 8. Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Today we're seeing that just as, that just as creation uh, longs and groans uh, and, and how this longing and groaning of creation taught us more about human sin and call, called us deeper into this humility required by biblical authenticity, so too creation points us to the healing that the created world longs for, which Paul describes as the redemption of our bodies. As the saying goes, none of us is getting any younger. Those of us, let's just say those of us Over a certain age, you can fill in that blank for yourself. Those of us over a certain age, we could all just sit down together and just start sharing story after story of all the aches and pains that that we now have that we never before experienced. 
Just this past spring, I had this, this incredibly uh, sharp pain that would go through my entire arm. And I had just had a physical with a doctor, so I knew it wasn't my heart because the doctor had just run an EKG test. Yes, I'm now old enough where they have to test my heart. And so they tested my heart. It's okay. But I had this terrible pain in my arm. It turns out that the pain in my arm was because of a problem in my neck. I had a, a pinched nerve in my neck. And, and I'm glad it, it's almost completely resolved now. And, and the way it was resolved, I found on YouTube a, a really good stretch for my neck that has totally helped me. But I, sometimes I just cannot believe all these new aches and pains that I have that I never before had. Just, and then if I injure myself, it just takes, I think, twice or I think three times as long to heal as when I was younger. It's, it's, just, it's just such, you know, this, this hardship that we have as we grow older. Paul today reminds us, as I said, we're not separate from the rest of creation as though we stand on the sidelines and we just watch the environment suffer because of what humans have done to it. No, we're also part of the creation. We're part of the environment. And so this damage we cause to the environment, it hurts us. It damages our bodies. And, and there's this longing that we have joining with creation for this liberation from a bondage to decay through God bringing it and us into this freedom and glory of the children of God. We participate in the death and decay that creation experiences, and we long for something better. We long for things to be the way they were meant to be. You may have heard about a decade ago, there was this study where they would take young adults, I think they were mostly like in their early 20s, and they would show them a computer-enhanced version of their own aging process. So they would see pictures created by a computer of what they will look like a decade from now, two de decades from now, three decades from now. They'd see how they look when they get older, the actual physical decline that they will someday experience. And then researchers realized, they, they interviewed the young adults, and they realized that the young adults, after seeing themselves as future old people, suddenly became more willing to save for retirement. It's like they, they realized, wow, I will decline someday. This decay that, that is affecting other people and, and the world around us, that's going to affect me. And so then they were more willing, after seeing this, to save money to prepare for the decline they will someday experience. Today we're going to look a little bit more closely at where this decay comes from and how God calls us to live in the present moment as his people who experience decay and who also look forward to the redemption of our bodies. One reason I think why growing older and feebler and weaker feels so wrong to us is that the Bible says that God originally created us to be eternal beings. In Ecclesiastes 3.11 we read, God has set eternity in the human heart. 
We were created to experience life that never ends, life that is maximally fulfilling, life in perfect harmony with God and other people. In our broken, sin-filled, death-infected existence, though, we struggle to even imagine what this might look like. And when I I struggle to imagine what this might even look like, I tend to think of the elves in J.R.R. Tolkien's books about Middle-earth. These elves were eternal creatures who never grow old. And yes, the elves can die in battle, but they don't age the way other creatures do. They don't physically decline or naturally die like, like other creatures. In other words, death is unnatural to the elves of Middle-earth. In a similar way, we were created for eternal life. Death is unnatural to us. You can see this in the way that the people around us sense that death is unnatural, and they express this through all these attempts to reverse aging, to prolong life, to delay death just a little bit longer. One of the more extreme forms of this is the cryonics movement that attempts to freeze a human body soon after death in the hope that in the future, with currently unavailable technology, they'll be able to bring that body back to life somehow. We were created to live forever. And the reality of death, both of those whom we love and of ourselves, feels so wrong. It feels so unnatural. So there's this natural impulse in us to to do everything we can to, to oppose it, to fight it. Death is a violation of what life was meant to be. Scripture gives us a clear explanation of where death comes from. We read in the book of Genesis about the beautiful setting in which God placed the first humans, of the work he gave them, of caring for the plants and animals, the environment around them, and of the one restriction he placed upon them. It says this, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. There was only one thing that our very first ancestors were forbidden from doing. And that was from eating from this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now you might ask today why God would place this restriction on our first ancestors. After all, isn't knowledge good? Isn't, aren't we trying to expand our minds? Isn't that why we study? Isn't knowledge good? Isn't it good to know what good is and what evil is? Won't, wouldn't that help our first ancestors? Scripture does not tell us why God chose to give the first humans this restriction at first. Yet some theologians have speculated that perhaps this was a test for a time to see if humanity would obey God by trusting that he will give the right thing to us in the right time, or to see if humanity would disobey God, distrusting God, and fearing that God's holding something back from us 
that's good for us. And you can actually see a pattern of testing throughout Scripture where it's usually for a time and then there's a release from it, but we don't know. We don't know. It's just a speculation. The next chapter in Genesis 3 shows us, though, very clearly the way that Satan, in the form of a serpent, tempted the first humans to disobey. And the strategy was this. Sow distrust in the minds of the humans against God. Sow distrust in their minds and hearts. Tell them the lie that God is being unfair, that he's holding something back from them that would be good for them. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And won't that be great? Won't that be amazing? Yet Satan was twisting the truth. He was distorting the truth. By disobeying God, yes, the eyes of Adam and Eve were opened. But rather than experiencing wonder and, and, and exaltation, they experienced shame, regret, confusion. They hid from God. They tried to cover themselves out of their shame. You see, within every choice to disobey God, there's a deeper decision to distrust God, to doubt his character and love, to believe God's holding something back from me, something that's good, that I can only gain through disobedience. On the day that our first ancestors turned their back on God, our creator, our only source of life, Death entered into the human experience. Adam and Eve weren't instantly struck dead, that's obvious, but they began to die that day as their sin cut them off from God, our only source of life. And you can trace this reality all throughout Scripture that sin separates us from God. Sin leads us toward death. Paul especially makes this point just a couple chapters before the, the section we're focusing on in Romans chapter 6. He says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, a wage is something you earn. It's something you deserve. It's not a gift. It's not undeserved. It's something you earn because of what you do. And so, so you go to your job, you work, and then you receive a wage for your labor. You've earned for it. So, so you don't thank your employer. Oh, thank you so much. You're so kind to give me my paycheck. No, you just put it in your pocket and you go home. You earned your paycheck through your hard work. And the wage that each of us is earning through our sin, Paul says, the, the wage that we deserve, because our sin cuts us off from God, who's our only source of life, the wage is death. And our experience of physical decline, decay, and death causes us to join with creation, the environment around us, the natural world, in lamenting, in grieving, 
the ways that our sin has broken the natural world around us, which includes, Paul says, our physical bodies. We saw earlier that creation in the natural world, it joins together in this community of lament over the, the harm that sin has done to the world. And the metaphor that Paul chooses to describe this grieving, it's a groan of pain, a sigh. It's something beyond words, this groan of pain. He says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And then Paul then places us within this community as those who grieve and lament the current condition of the world along with creation around us in the next verse. He says, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. We join with the natural world in groaning and lamenting the ways that human sin has marred and damaged and broken the natural world. And this Greek word Paul uses to describe our groaning refers to the sigh of dismay that we just can't hold in. It just comes out. It's just a sigh. Remember last time I spoke, my motorcycle that I had, the beautiful paint job, and how I was pulling it on a trailer, and how through a freak series of events, the tarp over the motorcycle tore, wrapped up the rear license plate, and that license plate just smashed in the wind, the beautiful paint job, causing these deep gouges that there was no way I could fix. We look at the gouges around us in creation caused by our sin, and we can't help but sigh in dismay. Look at the damage. Look at the gouges. Can you believe it? Sigh beyond words. Now at this point, someone might raise an important question. How do we fit together Paul's teaching here about how we join all of creation in groaning and lamenting the damage caused by human sin, the gouges in creation. How do we reconcile this with the joyful news that Paul had previously told us in Romans chapter 8, which is that through Jesus Christ, we've been adopted into God's family. We're heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. We're children of the King. We're now safe and secure with a spiritual inheritance. Why then must we lament? Why must we grieve and groan because of the brokenness of creation? To get at the answer, we need to see that there's a tension between our future inheritance and the current condition of the world and even the current condition of our lives that Paul reveals in this verse. Let's read it again. Let's zoom in on it. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Now, we learned a number of weeks ago that this adoption to sonship is referring to the status that only a firstborn male heir in a Roman household would have. And so Paul is saying that all of us, women and men, who place our faith in Jesus Christ, are heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, were given this highest status possible in a Roman family. 
which in that family was a status only of a firstborn male heir. So we are all invited into this adoption to sonship. We're all now given the highest status, he's saying. We're all heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, and yet, he says, at the same time, we groan inwardly. There's an inward groaning that we have as God's people. We lament the brokenness, the gouges caused by sin in the physical world around us, including our own bodies. In fact, the closer we become to God, I think, through our relationship with God through Jesus Christ, the more we will groan inwardly. Yes, the more we'll rejoice in our inheritance and at the same time, the more we will groan inwardly because we're going to understand more and more clearly and sharply exactly how far this world is being from the world that God intended it to be. And we'll see, wow, it's my fault, it's your fault. It's our, our rebellion against God that's caused this mess. In other words, it's because we have the first fruits of the Spirit that Paul mentions in this verse, and because we begin to experience our adoption as God's children, that we feel so sharply the pain that this world is not what it was meant to be. It's because we are God's children that we see and understand more deeply and painfully than ever before how profoundly sin has damaged everything, including the environment, including our own physical bodies. And it's because of God's work in our lives, because he begins to open our eyes, that we begin to long with ever-increasing intensity for God's kingdom to come, for God's will to be done. We're looking forward with, it says, eager anticipation for that day when Jesus is going to fully establish his kingdom on this earth, when he's going to heal all the harm caused by our sin. Theologians call this tension between our current experience of God's saving work in our lives and our wait for God to fully bring about all God has done for us, the already not yet character of the Christian life. We enter a relationship with God now by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Yet there's a fullness to our experience of God that we'll only know later when Christ's kingdom is fully established. We enter a relationship with God now by placing our faith in him. But, but Paul, and Paul describes this as we have the first fruits of the Spirit, Romans 8.23. In other words, God gives us the Holy Spirit when we place our faith in Christ and the Holy Spirit is at work in us, transforming us to be more like Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit is working through us to, to bless other people and to reverse some of the effects of sin. Yet we also groan inwardly. We're waiting. We're longing. We're waiting for this fullness to be revealed that will only come someday. This is the already not yet character of our present lives and it helps us embrace the fact that God is working in our lives now, yes. 
He's changing us, yes, transforming us, giving us eternal hope, and he's working through us in the lives of others, and yet we will never be perfect people in this life. And there's always going to be the damage of sin around us until the day that Jesus Christ returns and fully establishes his kingdom. In other words, we're called to to make the hints of this reality uh, embodied in the world around us and, and to make it real around us, and yet the fullness of it is yet to come. We're living in this already not yet time. Let's think about that just for a moment in closing. It's a time of waiting. It's a time of anticipation. We've been promised a good future, the full reality of our adoption to sonship, yet we still live in this broken world, and we still struggle with the harm and the damage caused by sin. In many ways, our situation is much like that of someone who puts a deposit down that points ahead to a much bigger payment. If you're selling a piece of property like a house, a potential buyer will often make a deposit by giving you a certain chunk of money that communicates the buyer's seriousness and intention to complete the purchase by by giving you the full money due for the property. Paul tells us that we have the first fruits of the Spirit And yet we groan inwardly because we don't have the full payment yet, the complete reality that we long for. Yet the fact that we do have the Holy Spirit is itself a promise and a guarantee that the good future that God has promised for us in Christ's kingdom will someday be fully realized. Paul says it this way in Ephesians. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And reading Romans chapter 8 and Ephesians chapter 1 together enables us to see that the Holy Spirit in us provides first fruits. It's like the Holy Spirit gives us a taste of God's future kingdom, the good future that God has for us. And at the same time, the Holy Spirit in us is God's deposit, God's earnest money, God's guarantee that God will complete His good work in our lives that God will bring us and all of the natural world around us someday into the freedom and glory of the children of God. And remember what we learned, that the weight of that glory is so much greater than all the suffering, than all the ugly gouges that we've caused, the weight of the glory. There's going to be a day, we'll learn more next time I speak, that God will heal. God will restore all that we've broken. Another way to understand the already not yet character of our lives is as the time between when you receive your acceptance letter into college or graduate school and the day you actually set foot on campus as a student going to class. You've received the admission letter 
You've already been accepted into the degree program, but you haven't actually begun your studies yet. During this in-between time, some young people even begin wearing sweatshirts or caps with the name of their new school on it, even though they've never studied for a minute at that school. It's because it's been guaranteed. Their acceptance is guaranteed, even though they have not yet begun studies. During our present time here on earth, God guarantees the full establishment of his kingdom, the healing of all that is broken, the the mending of all that has been gouged. And God guarantees this acceptance, and yet we're only now experiencing first fruits of his kingdom, glimpses of eternity. And so we look ahead. We look ahead with this excitement, this longing, this eager anticipation. Like a child in a car on the way to their first trip to Disneyland. They just can't take it. They're just so excited. We, we wait. We look ahead. We anticipate our full inheritance in Jesus Christ. And the healing, not only of ourselves, but of the natural world around us. The next time I speak, we're going to look a little bit more at what Scripture teaches about this future inheritance. And we're going to look particularly at what Paul says, the redemption of our bodies. What does that mean? And we're going to consider how Jesus Christ's resurrection body gives us hints. I think it gives us a model that tells us a little bit about what it will be like when God redeems our physical bodies. In this future reality, this this good new creation that God has for us. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you, you give us a hope that's so much bigger than we tend to realize. It's not just about me. It's not just about us as individuals. It's about us as community. And then you expand us even more. It's not just about us as community. It's about your entire creation that you love, that you created as good, that we have damaged, but that you are at work redeeming. Lord, give us a big vision. Give us a big heart, we pray. Show us how to be involved in your work throughout this broken world. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.